Star Walker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Welcome, welcome to episode 116 of Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker, and if you're a friend of the show, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're a new listener, welcome to Game Master's Journey. In this show, we talk about RPGs from the GM's perspective, but I also try to bring in the player's perspective as much as I can. Lately, I've been doing a series of world-building episodes where I'm creating my own homebrew D&D world, Primordia. Last week on episode 115, we talked about diversity of religions in Primordia. Today, I'm going to talk about using different time periods in your world as different campaign settings. So this week is the 18th world-building episode, and as always, I will have all of the previous world-building episodes linked in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com. Also, I wanted to let you know, for those of you that are playing Dungeons & Dragons and playing 5th edition, that there was a new Unearthed Arcana PDF released this week by Wizards of the Coast. They put these out about once a month or once every month. It kind of varies. And this week, uh, the new Unearthed Arcana has a new patron for the Warlock. And this answers the question, well, what if your warlock's patron is a god of magic or something like that? So we, we have a patron for that now. And there's also a new wizard archetype for a wizard who follows a god of magic. And Mike Merles said that he wanted an alternative for a follower of a god of magic other than being a cleric. And he thought it was really cool to have a god of magic have wizards instead of clerics. And so this is an archetype that kind of creates a hybrid between a cleric and a wizard. So I'll have this linked in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com and uh, you can go check that out. It's a free PDF and they've done quite a few of these now. If you haven't checked any of them out, it's all considered playtest material. It's not finalized. It's not necessarily perfectly balanced, you know, so, so use with caution, but a lot of good stuff in the unearthed arcana and the one before this most recent one, they did one about making random characters. So I'm not sure why someone would want to do this, but if you've ever wanted to create a completely random D and D character in, I mean, randomly generating everything from your alignment to your race, to your class, then, uh, that unearthed arcana has a series of tables that you can roll on and create a character completely randomly if that's your jam. And I'll have that linked in the show notes too. Now, personally, I was okay with uh, with the new options in the Unearthed Arcana. I'm kind of curious in playing with these for Primordia. I could definitely see my god of magic having wizards and clerics uh, following her and, and serving her. So I would definitely allow a wizard in Primordia to to use this new uh, archetype and, and get access to a cleric domain. I, I think that's pretty cool. And same thing with the, the warlock patron. Um, really cool and also another way to play a warlock who isn't necessarily evil and twisted, which, which I like. We have a, a few options for that now in the Unearthed Arc- Arcana which which is really cool. Another one I really liked was I forget what it's called, but there's a warlock o- option in the Unearthed Arcana where you can channel positive energy. I thought that was pretty cool. That would be kind of a fun character to play. I really kind of have to see these things in action at the table before I can really get a good feel personally as to you know how they stack up with the other options in the game are they well balanced you know or are these just not very good compared to what we already have in the PHB or are they maybe too good or are they just right i don't know until i see them in play but so far i haven't tried anything that wizards has come out with in the unearthed arcana in a game and found it terribly broken i had a player playing around with the uh, psionics rules uh, in, in some of my games, and we didn't have any problems with that. 
And I've had players use other options from the Unearthed Arcana and, and haven't had any problems with any of it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, time will tell. But uh, I didn't see any red flags. And, and I would definitely, if I had a player wanting to use these in the game, I'd definitely let them. Another great Unearth Arcana that came out uh, recently was uh, on feats. And this had some, some new feats, which were pretty cool in it. But even more exciting for me, Mike Merles talked a bit about his thoughts and philosophy behind how he designs feats for 5th edition and kind of what he's thinking about and what in his mind makes a good feat versus not a good feat. And he even gives us an example of a feat that he creates and then says, this isn't a good feat and this is why this isn't a good feat. And then let's go and make a good feat to replace it. And I thought that was really interesting and made a lot of sense to me. And after reading that, I don't think it would be terribly hard for me or any DM to come up with your own feats that aren't overpowered and keeping in mind kind of this philosophy behind how feats are designed for fifth edition. And I know for me personally, I'd be much more comfortable creating feats for my game now that I kind of know where the designers are coming from. And I'm actually looking forward to coming up with some, some feats for Primordia, but I'm not going to create feats just to create feats. I, I don't want to recreate third edition or Pathfinder here. Um, so I'll, I'll wait until the need arises. But when I come across something in Primordia and I'm like, you know, I really need a feat for this, I'll have a lot of fun designing one. Now, real quickly, I just want to mention that Game Master's Journey is now available on Google Play. So if you're using Google Play to get your podcast, you can now find Game Master's Journey there. And I'll have a link to the show on Google Play in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com if you don't want to search for it. Also, I am planning in the near future to do an episode of the show on theater of the mind, how to run theater of the mind well as a GM, how to free yourself from miniatures and grids and things like that and run theater of the mind. And so what I'm hoping for is to hear from any listeners who use theater of the mind, if you have any tips or tricks that you have learned as a GM to help make theater of the mind work for you at your table and to make the most of it. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can use theater of the mind. You can use theater of the mind exclusively and never use miniatures or a grid. Or you can use theater of the mind sometimes and use miniatures and grids at other times. And, you know, we'll talk about that too. You know, what are good times to use theater of the mind? What are good times to maybe use a grid instead? But I want to do an entire episode on it. I may even do a series of episodes on it if I get enough feedback and ideas from people. Um, and I've got some things that I want to share, but I know I have a lot of experienced GMs who listen to this show. And I know a lot of you use theater of the mind, if not all the time, at least some of the time. So again, if you have any tips or tricks or any advice on a GM who's wanting to try theater of the mind, let me know. Uh, probably the best way is to shoot me an email at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com and I'll share those on the episode. Also, I'm considering doing a future episode of the show and or a YouTube video for new players. I've had a few people on YouTube ask me to do a video for someone wanting to play an RPG like D&D for the first time to help those people out. And I'm happy to do that. Um, I could either do it as a YouTube video or I could do it on Game Master's Journey or I could do both. But what I'm really looking for is specific questions or areas of confusion that new players have. It's been you know, close to 30 years now since I started playing tabletop RPGs. So I'm not sure that I'm the best person to understand where a new player is coming from and what is going to be confusing to a new player 
and things like that. So if you're a new player or if you were a new player not too long ago and you have ideas of topics I could cover or questions I could answer, uh, definitely let me know. Again, you can email me, gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. And I will say that friend of the show, uh, Matthew Colville, who, who was on a, a while ago, I uh, recently did a video for new players, and I'll link that in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com for this episode, episode 116 of Game Master's Journey. So you can check that out. I don't think that what he did is exactly what the people that have asked for this from me are looking for. But if you are one of those people looking for information for new players, definitely check out his video. And then uh, after watching it, let me know, did that scratch the itch for you? Or are there still questions that he didn't address? And then I'll try to cover those when, when I do my video or my episode. This is Matthew Colville, and you're listening to Game Master's Journey. All right, well, this is the part of the show where I take a minute to give some thanks and recognition and show appreciation to the patrons of Starwalker Studios. Thank you so much, patrons. And also today, I want to just really quickly let you know that I just recently completely revamped the patron rewards and I moved some things around. I got rid of uh, a couple of the tiers that <laughs> no one seemed to be interested in. And I tried really hard to make the lower tier rewards even better. And I just want to thank all my patrons. And since I've changed the rewards around again, I just wanted to thank my tier one patrons, Nelson Robena, John C., Brandon Smith, Paul, Patrick Kreintz, Steve Ela, Rob Whitaker, and Matthew Arbo. And I want to thank my Tier 2 patrons, Irving Flanagan and Barb Dolis. And I want to thank my Tier 3 patrons, Chris and Casey Lipson. And finally, as I do every week, I got to give it up and thank my Tier 4 patron, Mr. Steve Strickland. Let's hear it for Steve. And let's hear it for all the patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. For our main topic today, I want to discuss using different time periods of your world as different campaign settings. Coming to us courtesy of a listener on the show, Mr. Christopher Ruthenbeck, who left a comment on Google Plus a while ago about one of my previous world building episodes. And uh, just a quick context for, for any new listeners. Um, basically, in my world some time ago, uh, there was a massive opening of planar rifts all over the place, all kinds of entities coming in from other planes like demons, devils, elementals, yugolos, all, all that crazy stuff, aberrations, all kinds of crazy stuff pouring into the world and led to the destruction of pretty much all the nations at the time. And people were forced to retreat to a handful of cities that were protected by these ancient magical shields that, that kept all this stuff out. And so I've been talking a lot about that lately. I'm planning on setting my campaign soon after these events happened in a particular city called Alandria, which is now overpopulated because all these people have come in from other places and have sought refuge uh, within this magical bubble that protects the city. And other than the handful of these cities that are protected by these ancient magical uh, force fields, uh, everything else has been lost. All the other cities and towns and villages, for the most part, have been destroyed. And so humanity has been reduced to these, these few holdfasts now. So Christopher says, if it's been a decade or so since this all happened... The PCs will remember what life was like before, assuming a human adventurer in their 20s. 
but go more than 30 years after these events, and the non-long-lived races might have grown up in the current climate and don't understand why the way it was before was better. Nobles had land before, and that gave them the right to dictate law? That seems dumb. So Christopher here is, is talking about, you know, one of the ramifications of these events that happened is we have nobles coming in from the countryside who had estates and lands outside of the city of Alondria. And now they're in Alondria, their, their estates are gone, their lands are gone, or, or at least they don't have access to them anymore. And, you know, what happens? You know, where where do those nobles uh, have power from now if they do it all? And if you want to know more about all of that, you know, check out the previous world building episodes. We, we've talked about it at length. So having your campaign set long after the world kind of went to shit, where the nobles, merchants, and upper echelon of the Adventurers Guild are old and lament about the good old days could be ripe for a story about revolution. Working from within to fix what the PCC has broken with the old ways while still trying to take back the world from the monsters. Or if you set it far enough in the future, say a century or so, then the stories of old where people lived where they wanted, how they wanted, are just that. They're stories. That time frame would make a great Shadowrun-esque tale where the guilds have absolute control because of population concerns, rivalries, limited resources. After all, it's been a century since the world was able to make use of its arable land. Within the world you created, there are just so many damn possibilities for stories it's insane. All you have to do is adjust the timeline slider just a bit differently, and the world is drastically different. And thank you, Christopher, for those comments. And you made some really good points here, and it is kind of the springboard for this topic I want to discuss, which is you can do this with your world. So this wasn't something I set out to do in the beginning when, when I started coming up with stuff for my world of Primordia. I wasn't really thinking about having different time periods and having those be very, very different. It, it all happened very organically. I started out with this idea of having isolated cities that are protected by magical force fields and the rest of the world is is pretty much wild and untamed and people don't travel between the cities using mundane methods like walking or riding a horse or taking a ship or something like that. Instead, they use portals because the wilderness is so dangerous. So I started with that idea, and from there, I, I wanted to know, well, what kind of led to this, right? You know, I've always said on the show, I'm not going to sit down and come up with tens of thousands of years of history because I think that's a waste of time, you know, and, unless something is relevant to the story I'm telling right now, to the campaign I'm running right now, it's kind of a waste of time. You know, it's like, yeah, when I have everything I need, if I, if I then want to go develop a timeline that goes back into the mists of time, I could do that. But until I have everything I need for the campaign I'm running now, my time would be better spent working on things that I need for my campaign I'm running now, right? So, you know, I very purposefully didn't think a whole lot about history and especially ancient history. But, you know, I had the situation in place with these isolated cities. And in order to know kind of what the present climate is, you know, politically and, and everything else economically, and to know what's happening in the world right now, what kind of trajectory are things on, you know, what's going to happen in the near future, I kind of needed to, to turn the clock back a little bit. You know, I don't need 30,000 years of history, but it would be a good idea to know kind of what things were like immediately before now. So I have this time period that I call the retreat, which was basically when these rifts were opening, humanity was being overrun, uh, they're fighting battles on all fronts, nations are falling, cities are falling, and we have this these handful of ancient cities 
that have these magical protections that are protecting them from all this crazy stuff. And, and basically everybody that can retreats to one of those cities and everything else is lost. So I call that that whole time period, those events, the retreat for now, for lack of a better term. So I wanted to know, you know, what caused that. And, and so I came up with the idea of the, these rifts opening all the time. Because again, I, I started with the idea of the isolated cities and I kind of had to work backwards to figure out how I could make that make sense in the world and, and have that seem like something that would have happened. So I came up with the idea of these rifts opening. I'd already established as one of the founding principles of of Primordia that it's a planar nexus where um, rifts to other planes and gates to other planes and things like that open far more often than they do in other worlds. And so having uh, a time period like this made sense. And I kind of envision it like uh, solar flares. So um, the sun has solar flares and uh, solar mass emission events, I believe they're called. And this all happens on a cycle. So the sun is on this cycle, and I forget how many thousands or millions or whatever of years long the cycle is, but it has this natural cycle where there are times where there are many more solar flares, and then there are times when there are fewer or when they're more severe or less severe. And, and it's a cycle that the sun goes through, and you can kind of make predictions of, okay, during this time period, it's going to be worse. During this time period, it's going to be less, kind of, you know, that kind of thing. So I had the idea that these rifts opening on Primordia to other planes of existence would have similar cycles. And the idea is each individual rift has its own cycle, but all of the rifts and, and everything all together also has a larger kind of uber cycle. And so the idea was that during the time of the retreat, it reached an all-time high in the cycle where these events were happening on a, a level, a scale of magnitude far higher than had ever been seen before. The, the portals were just, and rifts are just opening everywhere to the point that it almost ripped the world apart and the gods had to st step in and do something drastic to keep the world from being ripped apart and to hold the world together and I actually know what the gods did to save the world. And there are going to be many consequences of what the gods did. And the either first or second campaign I intend to run in Primordia will be directly involved with the consequences of what the gods did and the fallout of that. So, you know, I came up with these, these events that, that led to the retreat thought that made sense. And it just got me thinking about some of the history of my world. And I've mentioned on previous world building episodes, how when I first came up with this idea of the isolated cities, I thought it was really cool. I really liked it, but quickly realized that it opened a whole can of worms because I can't do a lot of the tropic cliche things that you can do in a lot of D&D games. I can't have the PCs guard a caravan, for instance, because there are no caravans, because the only way people travel from city to city is through a magical portal. They don't take a road. So there's no you know, PCs being caravan guards or anything like that. Um, also, it's much more difficult to have player characters that are from somewhere else. So if I'm running a campaign set in Alondria, you know, I, I can easily have a player character who's from another city that trades with Alondria because we can just say, well, you came through the portal. Like, that's pretty easy. But having a player who wants to play a like a barbarian or a ranger who exists out in the wild or comes from some faraway place that doesn't trade with Alondria, that becomes more difficult because you know, the tale of how that character got from where they started to where they are now is much more involved than it would be in other worlds. And I kind of had this moment thinking of this, of 
wondering, is this too much? Am I making it too hard for myself? Maybe I should make this more of a vanilla generic D&D setting and it'll be easier. And in that moment of weakness or, or whatever you want to call it, it occurred to me that, well, if I just used the same world and all the same ideas I have, but I set the campaign, say, a hundred years or something before the retreat happened, it would be that kind of world. It would be a Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance type world where the cities aren't isolated and there are nations and cities and towns and villages and caravans and all those things that, that most D&D worlds have. All I have to do is go back in time a little bit before the events that caused the retreat happened. And that just kind of opened my mind to this whole new realm of possibilities of, you know, I'm creating this world and not only can I have different campaigns that explore different regions of the world, maybe different continents or different cities, I can also have campaigns that explore different time periods in the world. And it kind of made me have this thought of, why would I ever need any other world? I feel like any kind of D&D campaign I wanted to run, I could find a time and or place in Primordia that would be perfect for that campaign. I think one of the main elements of this show that makes it great is when I hear from listeners like you. I am always happy to hear from my listeners, whether you have a question, feedback on an episode, or ideas for world building, or anything. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker, and you can follow me on Google Plus, plus Lex Starwalker. The place to find everything else you want to know about the show and about me, how to get a hold of me, is on the website, starwalkerstudios.com slash gamemastersjourney. Uh, you can find links to my YouTube channel there, the Primordia subreddit, the Game Masters Journey community on Google+, all kinds of stuff at starwalkerstudios.com. So continuing to use Primordia as an example, um, let me kind of illustrate this with just a few of the ideas and possibilities I've had. So I just mentioned the first one where if for a given campaign or adventure, I wanted to have more of a generic D&D experience and I wanted to be able to have overland travel and caravans or, or maybe the PCs are on a pirate ship or something like that. If I wanted to do something that I can't do in my default campaign setting of Primordia, you know, if I want a world where the cities aren't so isolated, all I have to do is tell a story sometime in the past. And so maybe I, I decide to run an adventure or a campaign and I want to do more of a, a vanilla D and D setting. So I decide I'm going to set this a hundred years before the retreat. So I sit down and, and maybe I make a map of the area or I, I figure out, okay, what nation is this, where the PCs are, what cities and villages are there? And I kind of develop that setting, right? But the cool thing about it is what I develop for that is going to be relevant to my main setting set in the quote current day of Primordia than anything else I would do. I mean, obviously, it's going to be more relevant than if I was like, well, I want to do more of a generic D&D game this time, so I'm going to build a new world for that, right? It would be really hard, not impossible, it could be done, but it would take some doing to make things I do in that other world at all relevant to Primordia. And I think you can see that, right? Um, even if I was like, well, let's come up with a new continent. Okay, everything I've come up with for Primordia so far is on this certain continent. I can just come up with a continent on the other side of the world and make things totally different there. 
and I can run my vanilla campaign over there. And you see this very much with, for instance, the Forgotten Realms, right? You have different areas of the realms that, oh, if you want to do something kind of uh, Native American, you've got Maztica. You know, if you want to do something uh, more inspired by, say, Japanese stories and mythology, you've got, what is it? Karatur, I think. I, I don't know. I don't know the realms that well. But you see what I'm saying? You have different areas of the realms that have very different flavors. Um, I think you have an area that's kind of Egyptian in flavor. Um, so, you know, we, we've seen that kind of thing before. So, you know, you could do that in your world and say, or, or in Primordia, I say, okay, well, the continent that the laundry is on is like this, but this other continent on the other side of the world call it Vanilla, <laughs> is more like your vanilla D&D where cities aren't isolated and all that stuff. But again, you know, it, it'll be easier to make that relevant than having it on a totally different world. But it's still going to be difficult because, you know, in a world like this, there, there aren't going to be many people that will travel from one continent to another. And for the most part, that'll probably be limited to maybe explorers. If you have explorers in your world, and high-level adventurers, right? People that can teleport and stuff like that. But but most people aren't, you know, most people don't travel from one end of a continent to another, much rather to an, a different continent. So you're going to kind of have an uphill battle making anything that happens in this other campaign on this other continent of Vanilla at all relevant to a campaign you run on Primordia, right? Well, I, I realized thinking about all this that, Traveling through time is in a way better because let's say I want to have my vanilla D&D experience and instead of saying I'm going to come up with a different world or come up with a different continent, I instead say, no, it's going to take place in Alondria, but it's going to take place 100 years in the past. Well, then it becomes much easier to have things that happen in this campaign set 100 years in the past past have relevance to maybe another campaign I'm currently running in present day Alondria or future campaigns I may run in present day Alondria. So, you know, maybe I, I run, uh, I can see this going to get confusing. So let's call, let's say I'm running a campaign in present day Alondria. We'll call that campaign A. And I'm going to start a campaign in the past called campaign B. Well, I could have things happen in campaign B that will inform the Alondria in campaign A. So maybe in campaign B, set 100 years in the past, maybe the PCs save the city from some great threat. And to uh, commemorate that, the city officials build a statue in honor of the PCs, maybe a statue showing their characters like together in a group or something like that. Or maybe there's a, a freeze on a wall somewhere depicting the group or something like that. But there's some kind of statue or monument put up to honor the characters. Well, then the characters in campaign a set in present day Alondria could come upon that and see it, you know, a hundred years later, see this monument to their other characters and what their other characters did. And I think that'd be really cool. And, you know, it, it's easier to have things that happened in the same place in the past be relevant now, I think, in this kind of world than it is to have something that happened on a different world or on a different continent be relevant. And I think that's really cool. And I, I think there could be a lot of possibilities there. Or maybe, you know, you run campaign A, you finish campaign A, you run campaign B set 100 years in, in the past, you finish campaign B, and then you begin campaign C that again is set in present day Alondria. Well, now you have all of the events that happened in campaign B informing your idea of the past of Alondria. And as a dungeon master, you can call that in the play. You can bring that history in the play. And if you have the same players, they're going to remember that. And, and you're not going to have to info dump about this great battle that happened a hundred years ago because the players were there, even if their characters weren't. 
And the really cool thing is the players can do that too. So the players have this history of this other campaign that is now part of the history of the world, and they can call on that knowledge as players and even as characters if they can build it into their backstory. And, you know, I think they should, and I think you should let them. So maybe one of the players in Campaign B said 100 years ago played a wizard, and maybe this wizard, you know, learned some interesting things about magic that weren't known in that time. Well, maybe that same player playing a different character uh, in the modern day maybe comes across writings left by the original wizard character. And so the player can say, you know, my new character, who's a sorcerer maybe, uh, read a book that was written by my wizard character. And so I know some of the things that my wizard character figured out. And as a DM, I'd be like, that's awesome. You know, not not only are we kind of bridging these two campaigns together, but it you're using a previous character to enrich your present character, which I think is awesome. I, I would definitely encourage that. So I started thinking about this and and it got the wheels turning. And another part of this was in previous world building episodes, I've talked about, you know, my thoughts as to, you know, what's what happens when we have all these nobles who have lands and vassals outside the city of Alandria. They've lost all that. Now they're living in the city. They still have a title, but they don't have lands or vassals anymore. You know, what happens? What what happens between them and maybe nobles who are in the city and have lands in the city? What happens between them and merchants who it seems would have more real power now because they still have all their money and their goods and whatnot? Uh, What happens in interactions between these nobles and uh, the royal family and the guild of adventurers and the church or churches and whatnot? And these thoughts led me to realize that if I had a campaign set, let's say, 10 years after the retreat or five years after the retreat, that would be a very different uh, environment to set a campaign in than a campaign that happened a hundred years after the retreat. Uh, originally, I was thinking that that my quote campaign setting of Primordia uh, temporally, as far as where it occurred in time, would occur. I was thinking something like a hundred, even as far as three hundred years after the retreat. But as I started thinking about the retreat and how that happened. And I started realizing, oh, there's these, there'd be these crazy conflicts between, you know, nobles from outside the city and nobles from inside the city and nobles and merchants and, you know, the, the church and the, the Royal family. And and there's all these different power structures that would be in conflict. I realized I was like, wow, that'd be a really amazing environment to tell a story in. You know, maybe I don't want to set my story 100 or 300 years in the future. Maybe I want to set it during the retreat or right after the retreat, maybe just a year or two even after the retreat. And so that further fueled this idea of, wow, I've, I've got one world, Primordia, but in a way I've already got like three or four campaign settings. I've got the campaign setting of Primordia, say, 100 years before the retreat, which would be very much more similar to a campaign setting like Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance, you know, much more vanilla D&D campaign setting number one, if you will. Campaign setting number two set immediately after the retreat, maybe just a, a year even after the retreat, where everyone's in in Alondria now, it's overcrowded. They're they're trying to figure out how to deal with all these people. They're trying to figure out what to do with these nobles who don't have lands anymore but still have titles. And and what is the pecking order now between the church and the crown and the nobles who still have lands because they're in the city and the nobles who no longer have any lands and the merchants and how does all that shake out? So there's there's campaign setting number two dealing with all that. And then campaign setting number three set 100 years later when all that's been resolved and we have this, this new world now with these isolated cities and... Um, you know, maybe the merchant and the noble class has merged now and, and merchants and nobles are a single class now. And maybe those 
uh, nobles who no longer have lands are now married into merchant families, and and maybe the merchants married into noble families to get legitimacy and all that. So so right there in one world, I have a potential of three different campaign settings, and anything I do in any of those settings can inform the other settings. So even if I'm in a in the future setting, you know, in the, the setting 100 years uh, after the retreat, maybe I come up with a location. Well, that location would have existed in the past probably. So that can inform uh, games I run in the past. So, you know, this is something I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone really talk a lot about. And I'd never really thought about, but running campaigns in the same world, but in different time periods. So for those of you that are building your own world, it's something to think about and it's something to explore because I know for me personally, after I've run a campaign, especially if it's a, a longer campaign that's gone into higher levels and, and you know maybe I've run this campaign for a year, maybe more, usually when I wrap up a campaign, I'm ready to do something different. You know, in the past, a lot of times I would I would run a different game like, oh, well, I just finished a D&D campaign. So now I'm going to do a changeling campaign or I'm going to do a Star Wars campaign or whatever. Or, you know, I might do a different campaign setting. So, oh, I just ran a Dragonlance campaign. So now let's do a Dark Sun campaign. But one thing that, that I've noticed for myself and, and I think is true for a lot of other GMs as well is when you start building your own world, you kind of start to want to do everything in your world. You know, now that I'm building Primordia, it kind of seems like running a campaign in the Forgotten Realms would be in a way a waste of time for me. Because all that time and energy I spend in the Forgotten Realms developing that campaign, it doesn't really do anything for Primordia. I mean, I might have some ideas that I think are pretty cool and I want to translate over, but it would be much more efficient, I feel like, to just run another campaign in Primordia and develop Primordia more, right? Also, you know, world building, I don't want to build another world, you know? So, so if I do a, if I want to do that vanilla D&D campaign, I mean, I don't want to do it in Forgotten Realms because I'd rather develop my own world instead of some other setting. But I also don't want to create a whole nother world because, well, I don't want to create a whole nother world. So finding a different time period in my world that can serve that purpose is a win-win for me because I get to do this totally different campaign that I want to do. I can kind of change the rules a bit, a bit and kind of start with more of a fresh slate and, and be able to come up with, with new different ideas. But it's not all wasted in regards to my primary campaign setting because maybe, and I would recommend going into the past if you can. Because it's going to be a lot easier to have things that you do in this new campaign relevant to your world as a whole if it occurs in the past of your, quote, main setting, if you see what I'm saying. It's going to be easier than if it's in the future. Although in the future, I mean, you could still use locations as long as they existed in the past, but you can't use so much things that your PCs did. And, and I think being able to have a campaign set in the past of your world and having that inform later campaigns that you run in your world and being able to call upon events from that past uh, campaign as like historic events in your world would be really cool. You know, it, it's like, you know, for a real world example, you know, it's like learning about something awesome that George Washington did and being like, and not only that, but George Washington was actually a character I played in a previous campaign. You know, instead of just some random NPC the DM came up with, no, that character was a player character in a previous campaign. And maybe it was my character or maybe it was my buddy's character. And that kind of thing is really cool. And that, to me, is one of the biggest sells of having your own world as a DM or at the very least taking a world and making it your own. You know, I've said on the show before when I ran D&D in high school, I, well, I actually I started out with Dragonlance. Uh, I think my first one or two campaigns were, were in Dragonlance. And then I went to Forgotten Realms. And from then on until I started building Primordia, all my games were in Forgotten Realms. 
but I, I kind of made it my own and I had um, my own timeline. So every campaign I ran in Forgotten Realms took place after the previous campaigns. And I did that so that I could have the history of all the previous campaigns informing my world of Forgotten Realms. So I did have, you know, players who played a character in an early campaign and did something. And then in a campaign years down the road, that's part of the history of the world now. And that's really awesome. And it's really great for players who've been with you for a while to be able to have that kind of stake in your world where characters they've played have helped create the history of your world. And you can do that, you know, the standard way of just every every campaign you run in your world advances the timeline a little bit, takes place maybe a year later or immediately after the last campaign ends. And I think most of us probably do that by default. But you can also explore more of your timeline by maybe setting a campaign or an adventure or just a one-shot in a previous era of your world. And finally, you know, not, not only can you use this trick to uh, do something different in your world without having to use a different world or create a different world, but you can also use it to explore your timeline. So, you know, maybe you get to the point in world building where, you know, you're up and running, you're running a campaign, you, you fleshed out, you know, what your players need right now. And, and you're at that, that point of luxury where you can kind of just do whatever you want because it's like, well, I've got what I need. So now I can do whatever I want or whatever occurs to me. I, I don't have like this pressing, oh, I got to have stuff for next session over my head. And maybe then you want to start developing your timeline. And maybe you do develop 30,000 years of history. Well, maybe in the development of that timeline, you come up with things that are really cool. Like maybe long ago, there was this epic war between the giants and the dragons. Well, maybe you get excited about that and you're like, I want to tell that story. I want to, I want to have an adventure that takes place during that time period of this epic war between the giants and the dragons and tell a story there or even a whole campaign. So I, I think that would be a lot of fun. And again, you know, instead of using someone else's world or going to a very removed part of your own world to tell this other story, you can do it in a different time period. And then in future campaigns, it can be more relevant and you can pull elements of that in because your player characters in a later campaign can maybe encounter written documents talking about things that the characters from the other campaign did. Or maybe they find some kind of like magical holographic record and they get to see a scene of their old characters or something like that. I mean, there's just so many things you can do with this. And, you know, I, I wish I could say I was a genius and I designed Primordia this way from the beginning, but that's not true. I kind of stumbled into it just, you know, following the rabbit trails of, you know, thought A leads to thought B leads to thought C and led to this realization of, hey, you know, not only do I have the potential of developing whole new continents for my world where things could be completely different, but I also have the potential of developing other time periods, time periods in the past and even time periods in the future. And exploring those and using those to build the richness of the history of my world. So I'm not just info dumping a bunch of history on my players that they don't care about, but where we're developing that history together as a group through the vehicle of a campaign. So I'm really excited about this. And, you know, I'm kind of a bit scattered <laughs> as a person, I guess. Um, I am easily distracted and I tend to get really excited about an idea or a game or whatever and, and just really immerse myself in that until I've had enough of it. And then I want to go on to the next thing. And I think a lot of us as game masters and players are like that. And, you know, that kind of thing can lead you to a place 
where you feel like every year or something, you got to come up with a totally new world for your D&D game or start playing a totally different game just so you can do something different or just so you can chase that new cool idea that you've got. And for me, it was a real kind of eureka moment to realize that I can actually really do a lot of that in one world by not only exploring different places, but but different time periods as well. So I'm really excited to do that with Primordia. You know, right now I'm I'm really focused on the time period of the retreat, and I'm I'm really pretty sure at this point that my first campaigns are going to take place within probably a few years of when the retreat happened, because I think that's a really interesting time period to explore. And a lot of the questions that we've talked about on the show as far as what would happen between the merchants and the nobles and the nobles with land and the nobles without land, I think those questions would be a lot more fun to answer with the players at the table during a living campaign than just to come up with it all myself. So I'm pretty sure that that's going to be my, quote, main campaign setting of Primordia. But I am looking forward to exploring possibilities of time periods in the past and maybe even in the future, in the future as I develop Primordia. So let me know what you think, you know, and if you have your own world that maybe you've been running games in for a while or or just started, uh, let me know, have you done this? Have you uh, used campaigns or adventures to explore different time periods in your world? Um, or maybe this is a new idea to you too. And uh, if so, you know, let me know what you think, if this is something you think you will use in the future. Or again, if it's something that you have used already, uh, I'd love to hear what your experience has been with it, what you've done as far as different stories you've told in different time periods in your world. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. Well, that's going to wrap it up for episode 116. Really enjoyed discussing this topic today. And thanks so much to Christopher Ruthenbeck for kind of spurring this. Uh, I didn't realize in, until I responded to his comment that this would probably be a great topic for an episode. And again, um, I'd love to hear from you if if you've used different timelines in your homebrew world uh, if you have any cool stories about that, I would love to hear them. Uh, you can send them to me by email at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com, or you can share them with all the listeners on the Google Plus community for Game Master's Journey. Um, be great to, to hear people's stories about their own worlds and what they've done exploring different time periods in, in your own campaign setting. I hope that you have a chance to play your favorite RPG this week. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music provided by Cloudwalker, Renfield, Stanko, Transboy, and Ish. Please see the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey.